you're tuned in to the Planetary Podcast, where you will meet the global leaders and innovators making a positive change on our planet. Covering topics like sustainability, climate change, and circular economy, the Planetary Podcast highlights sustainable solutions around the globe that inspire others to make a measurable difference. Now, here's your host, founder and CEO of the Planetary Press, Kimberly White. Hello, and welcome to the Planetary Podcast. Today, we are joined by Angela Pozzi, founder and artistic director of Washed Ashore. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. It's exciting to be here. So, Angela, can you tell us more about your work with Washed Ashore? Well, I'm the founder of Washed Ashore Art to Save the Sea, which is actually a nonprofit organization based in a little tiny town on the southern Oregon coast called Bandon, Oregon. And it is an educational nonprofit where we work with uh, volunteers to clean up beaches of plastic pollution. And then people bring all that stuff into us and we process it, turn all that stuff into educational art supplies. And we create gigantic sculptures in the forms of the marine animals that are threatened by plastic pollution. And then in order to do the work that we really want to, we exhibit our work uh, around the country in um, four different traveling exhibits and try to reach as many people as we possibly can with the idea that if people see the junk that is washing up on our beaches and recognize it as things that they use every day, and we will start changing people's consumer habits. So that's really what we do. And we have signage to go with it, but our work is meant to be powerful and huge and you can't ignore it so that uh, we can get more solutions happening to tackle the plastic pollution problem. That's amazing. The artwork that you created is just larger than life and so beautiful to look at. It's hard to believe that it's made out of something like plastic pollution. So have you always been an artist? Can you share more about your background? Uh, Yes, I I do want to tag on to what you just said, because our work is often considered and what we try for is beautiful, but horrifying. (laughs) Go with beautiful and horrifying, which is kind of an interesting combination. So me as an artist, I was one of those few fortunate people who grew up with the arts surrounding me. My mom was a professional artist, and she made sure that we knew what that meant to be a professional artist. And uh, that meant she had a studio full time and that was her job. She went to work every morning making art and just as a painter and and exhibited her work in museums and galleries and sold it. Uh, My father was an arts administrator, which means he was a he was a museum director when I was a kid. And so I got to just go into museums and galleries all the time. So I was very, very blessed with always having a place in my mother's studio, and my parents nurtured my creativity ever since I was a baby. So I was really, really lucky, and I, and it's really funny. I've taken art lessons along the way, but really my parents um, growing up at my mom's studio and having art critiques and going to museums is really my best arts education, although I did study it. But what I realized was that I was so lucky that a lot of my friends and everybody in my public schools didn't get it, didn't understand how important art was as a language and how great it was. And so I was determined to become an art teacher. So I went off to college, I got my education degree and got certified as an early childhood elementary teacher and specialized in art. 
And then I ended up teaching, uh, actually certified with art all the way through high school. So I was actually a dedicated art teacher to bring the kind of love for the arts and the importance of it to the rest of the public. For 30 years, I was an art teacher. And my mother always said, you know, Angie, you should really be an artist. And I'm like, no, 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 you guys do that. I don't. I'm an art teacher. And when she passed away, when I was age 40, I finally looked at myself and went, you know, maybe I should give it a shot. Maybe my mom had something. Maybe I should give it, see what I've got in me. So I went to part-time teaching and started making um, art out of repurposed materials. And I actually still have a website up called seethingsart.com. And that is my earlier work. And I would go to thrift stores and I'd get stuff that, you know, were interesting looking and put them together. But I was always intrigued with the ocean. So my work always reflected coral reefs and sea creatures and made up things. So that really kind of led me into Wash to Shore. I really used the art, started really becoming an artist in, you know, in the last 20 years, really, because I'm now 63. So, yeah. (laughs) I just, I love your story. I think it's so cool how you went from that background of having your parents as the art teachers for that enrichment and then being an art teacher yourself. And then you're obviously a very talented artist. So your mother was right. (laughs) I'm still learning. (laughs) So what inspired you to use plastics as your medium? Can you tell me a little bit more about how Wash to Shore came about? That is also a very personal story. I had always come to the Southern Oregon coast as a child, even though we never lived here. My parents lived in uh, Utah and then in Washington State. And we would always come to Bandon, Oregon every summer where my grandparents lived, but also where our family had a family cabin on a little lake. And so I spent all my summers here. I mean, I loved it here so much that I would, when I was older, I had the key to the cabin on my keychain and I would just hold it and stare at it going, I can get to the ocean anytime I want <laughs> because I I would never lived at the ocean. And so it always had a special place in my heart. And I always walked to beaches when I was a kid and really felt like it was, you know, just a sacred place. And I've known the beaches in this area for a very long time. And when I was a little kid, we would find something from Japan and get really excited. I was like, oh, wow, look at this. You know, we'd run home and just like, wow, we put it up on our mantle because it was so special to find usually something plastic. And you're like, wow, that's amazing. Now, whole different world. So what happened was, as I was teaching, I was up in Vancouver, Washington as a, as a full-time teacher. And uh, the other part of my life is I was married to a wonderful artist and also art teacher, Craig Potsey. Uh, we got married in 1980, and we have a beautiful daughter, Nicola Potsey. We were married for 25 years when he suddenly became very ill with seizures and a whole series of events happened where he ended up dying in 2004. And I was a mess. We were living in Vancouver. Um, My daughter was a mess. I was a mess. It was just really traumatic. He was paralyzed the last year of his life. and I couldn't teach. I was just disabled by the whole thing. And so I really had to figure out how to get my life back and what my life would look like and what would be my purpose in life because I, I just was destroyed. So 
I thought I have to move to the ocean and uh, let's move to Bandon, Oregon, because that way I can go to the place that's always been there for me. I can heal there. So I did. I moved to Bandon and I walked the beaches every day and I noticed there was like junk on the beach, but I really didn't want to see it. I kind of walked over it. I just wanted to see beauty and heal and until one day it was so, so in my face. And it had been a couple of years actually being down in band and making my other artwork when I suddenly saw this, what they call the rack line, where the basically where the, the ocean vomits up all of the plastic in itself every day at high tide. And I saw this massive amount of plastics, little teeny tiny pieces, like a mosaic of plastic all the way up the coast and I just was sick to my stomach. I just couldn't believe that it was that bad and I suddenly was able to see it. And then I looked over near the shoreline and saw these people picking up shells and picking up agates like I used to. And I thought, you know what? This is really horrible. How am I going to get those people to pick up this stuff? What if I pick up all this stuff? What if I never use any other art supplies? What if I only use what's on the beach? And if, what if I could save the ocean? What if I could wake people up to what's going on and teach them what's going on? And the teacher in me just like kicked into gear and I did my research and I thought, okay, this is what my new purpose in life is. I'm just going to save the ocean. There we go. That'll keep you busy and let's just make that happen. And... <laughs> My mom was also a great woman that she said, you can do anything you set your mind to. And I've always believed that. And uh, I thought, okay, Angela, here you go. Um, How are you going to do that? And my creative brain just kicked in. And I thought, okay, I got to figure it out. And here we are. (laughs) I got it figured out. And then in um, 2010, I started a nonprofit. And uh, I got a show uh, based on my other work that had gotten good reception. I called the same people up and said, I got a great show for you. Just have to trust me on this. It's all made of garbage. (laughs) Like what? And anyway, it worked and uh, got it traveling. And and now we have a thriving nonprofit. Uh, We have lots of people over the years have worked with us and for us. Uh, We have a powerful staff and I am a professional artist with a wage now. So there you go. (laughs) I think your story is so inspiring because it's just we should all have that attitude of you know when we care about something like you do the ocean I'm gonna go save that and do anything I can to help raise awareness I think that's amazing and you know plastic pollution has been one of the most discussed topics among world leaders in recent years aside from climate change which is understandable with more than 8 million tons of plastic ending up in the oceans each year It reaches the farthest points of the Earth, from the remote corners of the Pyrenees Mountains to the Mariana Trench. It's become so pervasive, we're even finding it in our food. So, you see these discarded pieces of plastic pollution on the shore. How does it go from pollution to a piece of artful awareness? Can you walk us through your creative process? Well, we really depend on volunteers. It's huge. What's interesting is Oregon is is not at all known for polluted beaches. We are known for beautiful, serene, you know, picturesque beaches. But we're part of the Asian currents that we get garbage on our beaches like everybody else in the whole world, uh, coming from all over the world. 
So we pick it up uh, on a regular basis, and we have a place on Highway 101, which is a major thoroughfare and a scenic highway, where people could just drop off bags of garbage that they pick up off the beaches anytime, and they do. And we also partner with the state parks. They love us <laughs> because they actually get excited about picking up garbage, even though it's part of their job. They get excited and come in here and say, oh, I found a really cool thing that's going to look great on your new eagle or whatever. So it's been fun in that regard that we change people's attitude about picking it up. And it's not as depressing because they know it's going to turn into something that's meaningful. So therefore, you motivate more people to pick it up when they know that it's not just going to go in, a, in the dump. So that has helped kind of fuel the beach cleanups a little bit more in the area of all along Oregon. And we partner with all kinds of organizations for that. And then we have our staff. We actually have, you know, full-time people that, you know, one person's job is she just washes and cuts and drills plastic. That's all she does. And we do that on a regular basis. And then currently I'm the artistic director. I have actually held almost every job at Washington Shore, but uh, we just recently hired an executive director, which is really great because she could do a lot of the grants and all the other stuff, all the business side, and I can do more of the artistic stuff. We have a lead artist, which also is a job I've held, uh, who I work with, and I also do some of the actual building. But we have to design and figure out what pieces we're going to do. We like to have an inventory that really shows the variety of animals that are affected by plastic pollution. So we're also doing river to ocean animals and sky to ocean to river to animals. Um, We've done a polar bear on a melting iceberg. Uh, We've done a river otter, you know, on the shoreline. So we look at what kind of animals. Then we do a lot of research. We really research it. I try to get inside the heads of the animals and find out everything I can about them so that we can bring that to the work. And then normally we do have workshops where we actually cut up things and bring in stuff and prepare, you know, like small, maybe six inch by six inch pieces of uh, wire, the people, wire mesh that people would then wire pieces onto the wire mesh. So they'll drill holes, they put wire through, they twist the wire. And then those pieces that have a very specific for, you know, criteria and craftsmanship that we require. Those small little pieces then come back to the artists that are going to be assembling it. Um, we work with a welder to do a stainless steel welded frame. Uh, and we have learned over the years to do stainless steel because we exhibit our work outdoors and in public places. So we need a forkliftable uh, stainless steel strong and uh, it's expensive though so we, we have to find the money to do that so we do also you know rely on grants and donations and things like that but we then create a, a frame and then we start putting all these pieces on top of it the heads usually come off uh, so that I can work on those in my studio right now I'm about to start working on um, our our bald eagle that is, I'm working on the head and the claws and then the fish that it's grabbing out of the ocean. Uh, my lead artist is doing the body and the water, and we kind of divide things up. Uh, we also work collaboratively all the time. So collaboration is a really important part of it in working with volunteers. Um, and it's a very different creative process than a lot of art 
people go through. Uh, it's one I love. Uh, I love collaboration. Great. I love hearing how it works. And I'm really excited to see your eagle once it comes to life. I have to say one of my favorites that I've seen of your work so far has definitely been the octopus. I found that one so amazing. And the colors, it's just so lovely. Oh, yes. Octavia. She is one of my very favorite pieces. So how many pieces have you created? Well, I like to say the Washtashore Project has created over 80 pieces so far. I, I think we're past that now because we just keep making them. We average about anywhere from um, three to five a year that we create. So we retired a few. Some of our early work has kind of, you know, we didn't do stainless steel. So they, they have osteoporosis and they start crumbling from the inside. <laughs> Um, but that's only one of our old, 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 old dudes. Um, but yeah, about 80 works of art. I'd say if you count every little jellyfish we've done, it's a way over 100. Wow, that's impressive. So how long do these typically take to create? And how much plastic pollution typically goes into creating one of these incredible pieces, like Octavia, for example? Oh, you know, everyone wants to know the answers to those questions. It's such a convoluted process. For instance, we're working on an eagle right now, which has brown. Brown is one of the least common plastics that wash up on the beaches. So <laughs> we don't color anything except our screws that we screw in. That's the only thing we paint. Otherwise, we have to accept the plastic as it comes in. And then we just categorize it, save it until we get enough to create something with. Brown plastic just isn't used for much except for the soles of shoes or maybe some flip-flops. So it has taken us quite a few years to accumulate enough brown plastic for the eagle, which also meant we could not do a sea lion or an otter or anything else that's brown <laughs> in that time period. So that's a very bizarre process because... Usually you could just go get brown paint or you could just go get whatever you need at the store, but we have to wait for it to wash in. So there are certain things that we know we can count on, especially now that I've been doing this 11 years. Um, I know I can count on a lot of black and a lot of white and a lot of blue. So we've done uh, four penguins. We've done two whale tails. Uh, we're able to do big black birds easily, but our eagle is going to have a lot of black mixed with brown in it because we don't, just still don't have enough brown for it. So just the accumulation of the materials and then the prepping of the materials. So we've been spending just a month figuring out which pieces are cut for which things and start cutting the plastic and washing it, cutting it, just a month of just doing that. Usually it will take our volunteers a couple months to actually make the piece work for a piece, the frame takes a month to weld, usually. Sometimes it takes me a whole month just to do the head of an animal. Some of those things can all happen at once. Sometimes they can't, depending on what else we have going on. We often are working on two or three pieces at once. Uh, when I first started Wash to Shore, we did 13 pieces in six months, but only one of them was really large. They also were not as detailed and as good as they are now, so we're more demanding of ourselves. We like to say that when someone requests a commission, uh, which we get 
quite a few of those where people ask us to build something specific. We like to have a year unless we already have the piecework already done that can be used or unless we already have enough plastic. And then we can take it down maybe to six months. Very interesting. I was wondering how long it would take and I didn't know that you guys didn't paint them. So it's all the color of the plastic that washes ashore? Well, and and really the whole idea is to have people see what washes ashore and to teach them what it is. So we always put recognizable things in everything we do. Sometimes we process things a little more if they're really big, big pieces then we chop it up into little pieces. But then if we process something a lot, we also make sure we have recognizable things also in the same piece. We like to keep it as you know authentic so people can't make excuses about it. They also recognize it more if it's in the color that they would buy in the store. So what are some of the most common things that you've seen wash ashore that you've used in your artwork? Water bottles. First thing, water bottles. We get so many drink bottles and water bottles and believe it or not, cans. I don't know why. I mean, water bottles and cans can all be recycled. So it's really odd that things can be recycled or coming ashore so much, but that's really common. Uh, Flip-flops is if flip-flops are the most common shoe worn in the world, but uh, that's pretty common. I'm sitting here looking at a piece right next to me that we've created and We use chair parts throughout this whole sturgeon we just made. And a lot of times broken chairs get dumped, uh, which is a a really strange thing to me because if it's a wooden chair, a lot of times people will repair it, or at least they used to. Um, We also get shotgun shell wads. We get everything. I mean, the thing that's so strange is that There isn't anything I haven't seen. I mean, everything comes ashore because a lot of places in our world, a lot of rivers are used as dumps uh, by certain countries all around the world. And a lot of those rivers dump right into the ocean and things last forever. And we get things that I swear are like from the 1950s uh, washing ashore that are still, you know, recognizable as to what they are because plastic just keeps going. Um, we have a lot of toothbrushes. I mean, toothbrushes don't disintegrate. They just keep going forever. And it's just amazing to me. I don't know, just everything. Bottle caps are everywhere. Now, the chairs are especially strange. I wouldn't have anticipated seeing a lot of those. So that's interesting. And yeah, water bottles are a huge problem, I would say, especially here in the United States. Because when you go to any store, you see the plastic bottles. And you know, we've become this throwaway society where we buy something and we throw something away, but it really never goes away. Well, in in water bottles, you know, people think that drinking water that's been sitting in plastic is good for them. It really isn't. There's all kinds of research that's showing, you know, getting into the water you're drinking. And unless it's something you absolutely have to have because you don't have a good water source, um, I would say that your tap water is going to be a lot healthier for you to drink unless it has been proven not to be. Yeah, there was a recent study that I found very interesting from uh, World Wildlife Fund Australia, which found that people could be consuming up to five grams of plastic, which is about the size of a credit card every week. And that is just so insane to me to even think about, you know, eating a credit card. They're saying that our dust is having a lot of plastic in it. And 
you know, a lot of our, our fabrics and our clothes, you think about the dust that comes out of your, um, your dryer. And if you go look at that outside, a lot of that is, is plastic based. So it's pretty scary. The thing is that about plastic pollution is something we can do something about because it's what we buy. And if we demand a different supply, we can get it turned around. We have to demand it and we have to invest in alternatives to our synthetic world. Absolutely. We need to vote with our dollars. Absolutely. Every, every purchase is a vote. Yeah, and that goes beyond the plastics crisis as well. It goes with opting for more sustainable clothing options, opting for less meat and more plant-based, and supporting sustainable businesses versus things that are just created to only last one or two times. So what has been one of the most challenging pieces you've created? Well, probably Octavia the Octopus, the one we both love, because I feel like I got it uh, with her. That makes me very satisfied. I wanted to create an octopus that looked like it was moving. And another part of my background is I was a, I was a dancer and I taught creative dance as well. So I love movement uh, through space, time and energy, all that. So I really want it, and I love octopuses. They're just such an amazing beast and they're very smart and curious. And so I wanted to make a piece that showed curiosity of the of the animal and also movement so every one of her arms is actually doing something different one of them is is pulling a can out of a cooler uh, another one is trying to ride a, a, a bicycle <laughs> another one is grabbing a goose uh, another one is holding a ball so she's doing all these things and moving and she's collected things underneath her that that she would be curious about. So it was also a challenge just to, to be able to get the skin right and the tentacles and all that. So, and that was really fun because I love octopuses. So, but I did work with an amazing team that helped make that happen. Every piece has a different challenge. Like the Eagle that we're doing right now is going to be really interesting. Um, and I guess that's why I love working for Wash to Shore because every time is different. We're always learning something and that you don't get stuck in a rut. Here I have to I have to create claws that are grabbing onto a fish that's being pulled out of the water. So I've got to figure out how to do that and how to use the materials I have to do that. So, And you never have the same materials twice. So it's always a challenge. I can imagine. And I think, you know, again, I just love Octavia. I love the colors you used as well. And now knowing that none of that was dyed is even more impressive. And it's really scary that all of these types of plastics are washing up. Yeah, yeah, it's true. It's true. And, and a lot of her is because we get these giant fish totes that wash in. If you're a fisherman and you're out at sea, you've got really rough waters and, and securing things on your boat is not always easy. And when you're in a big storm, you know, things fall off. So sometimes we get these giant coolers that their fish are either in or about to go in that wash ashore. When that cooler washed in, it was a maroon red. And because of that cooler and the lid that w that also washed in, we were able to make two big sculptures out of that. And one of the other one that I think is my most exciting challenged pieces is the Steve the Weedy Sea Dragon. And um, I built him actually from scrap. I didn't 
have any welded frame and I built him myself, the whole thing myself. And so that is also one of those pieces. But because that fish tote, we actually had another fish tote come in, I was able to do both those sculptures. So what is the largest piece that you've created so far? Well, our eagle sculpture right now has a 16 foot by nine foot base. 16 feet's the the longest we've ever made a sculpture. Well, that's not true. Steve the Weedy Sea Dragon is 18 feet long and 10 feet tall, but he's kind of skinny. So um, he might be the biggest, but then we have a polar bear on an iceberg that's 10 feet tall. And we have a Brody the Adelie penguin is 10 feet tall. It depends how much mass. I mean, who knows what's our biggest. We just go for whatever is big. <laughs> we try to make them so you can't ignore them. And the other thing is we want to make sure that they they hover over people uh, so that when you're in a crowd, you can still see them. Or if they're outside and they're compared to buildings and you know cars, they're still looking big. So you have to make things really big. Yes, and I imagine the size and knowing that it's plastic pollution helps to provide that wake-up call for people who are viewing it. Oh, exactly. It's a big problem, needs big art. We, we are limited by what fits on a truck because we are a traveling exhibit. So seven feet wide is as wide as we can go. And nine feet tall is as high as we can go unless it bends over and lays down and has a hinge in it, which is what we have on a couple of our pieces. So we do have some limitations. So Wash to Shore has engaged your local community. Can you tell us more about how you're working with your community and how this has been impacted by the COVID-19 pandemic? Oh, COVID has been so hard for us and for our community everywhere, of course. But as far as keeping people involved, we still have people going to the beach on their own. We don't do beach cleanups as a group, but we've always asked people to go on their own, especially every time they go to the beach to pick up stuff. Um, you don't really need an organized beach cleanup. And that's that's kind of funny. Oftentimes people have thought they had to have one in order to go do something. You just bring a bag or a bucket whenever you go to the beach and pick it up and bring it to us. So that's been able to continue. Our workshops have been shut down. Our exhibit hall in Bandon has been shut since March. Uh, I made that call early and we have kept it shut. We're a hands-on, tactile, interactive exhibit. So I didn't see any way we were going to be able to stay open. And our workshops are like schools that everyone shares materials. So that also is just impossible. The cool thing is, and something I'm really excited that I can talk to you about and to your listeners, is that this eagle that we're doing, it will be premiered at Norfolk Botanical Garden in Virginia this summer. We are actually starting a new program where we can involve anybody. In fact, I'm sitting in the studio, and this weekend I'll be working on how to make kits to send out to people so that they can be part of the project. And that is just, it's a whole new thing for us. So we're going to, you know, like sterilize everything before we package it. And then we're going to have videos online that show you how to put it together, and we'll have instructions. And then people, will be able to do what they've always done is you can say, I helped build this bald eagle. And then you could go see it and say, 
see, I helped build that. I made one of those. And then everyone takes ownership in it. And then they're a part of it. And that's a lot of who Washed Ashore is. So we want to keep that alive. And so we're giving it a shot. I started this, and it's actually kind of funny. I was inspired by Kelly Clarkson. Kelly Clarkson's show got a hold of me and was excited about Washed Ashore, and they highlighted us on their show last year. And then they connected me up with a a 10-year-old at the time who wanted to learn how to work with us. So I started sending her piecework and her and her family started doing it. And I did this whole instruction thing on with her. So I realized, you know, well, if I could do this with her, then uh, I could do this with anybody. So that's what inspired us. Um, so this little girl, Ashlyn, has helped us um, with piecework for our sturgeon. And the sturgeon's actually going to go on the Kelly Clarkson show. And I think we are, too, if we can ever get through the COVID thing. Um, so that inspired us to think that, well, maybe we should try reaching out to other people and maybe we should try doing something really important. So the Eagle is such a perfect time for us to do this right now because the Eagle is a sign. It's our symbol of the United States of America. It is a symbol of our democracy and it is a time right now when we all need to feel unified. Uh, we are all in this COVID world together and suffering together. And also to do something positive to help a problem is something we all need to help with. So we love the idea as a Washed Ashore as an organization to help create a, a symbol of America by America all helping us build the bald eagle. So in the next uh, the next month, if people go to our website, they'll be able to find out more of how to be a part of the project. That's really exciting. I'm looking forward to that. And I know I will be looking for that episode of The Kelly Clarkson Show. So before we go, is there anything else you'd like to share with our audience? Well, I guess I just want to say that plastic pollution is a really depressing topic. And it is something, like I said, that we can all do something about today. Every day you could do something about it. So in that regard, it does offer us hope. Again, that just like you said, your purchase is your vote. Uh, start bringing a reusable water bottle. Uh, bring your own bag to the store whenever you can. Uh, some places don't allow it right now. You know, and think about the purchases you make for gifts. Uh, think about the packaging that is used for the gifts. Think about supporting your local farmer's market when you can to eliminate uh, packaging. You know, all those things. There's so much we can do. And, and really, the, one of the things I love the most about Washington there's a lot of things, but I love the fact that our work proves that your every action adds up to do something amazing because all of these sculptures that you see that we've created would not be possible without every little tiny action that made it happen. The person who picked that thing up off the beach, the person who decided to drive it over and dump it off in our parking lot, the person who, you know, scrubbed it, the person who drilled a hole, another person put a wire through it, and somebody else did something else. And all those things do add up, just like everything that we do adds up. Um, and if we add the positives rather than the negatives, we're going in the right direction. So 
that's my main message. Thank you, Angela, and thank you for joining us today. Washed Ashore, using art to raise awareness about one of our planet's most pervasive problems, plastic pollution. And that's it for today. Please join us next time for another episode of The Planetary Podcast. Thank you for joining us for this episode of The Planetary Podcast. Please subscribe, support, and share with your friends. And be sure to visit www.theplanetarypress.com for the latest news in sustainability, climate change, and the environment.